Before the crowds, all the attention and fame, they were just kids. It's the local play-by-play broadcasters that recognize their talents and their flaws. This is a look behind the curtain of the athletes that made it out and the local guys with ringside seats. You get an insider's view into what goes on behind the sports from local play-by-play broadcasters around the country. This is the Before the Crowds play-by-play podcast with Ken Keller. Hello and welcome to the Before the Crowds play-by-play podcast. I'm your host, Ken Keller. This podcast is a podcast featuring local broadcasters from all over the country, local play-by-play broadcasters from all over the country. We talk to them about their careers, any interesting stories they've happened that they've had happen in the booth, and and anybody that they've covered before they became famous. And um, we've met a lot of great people, and there's more coming in the upcoming weeks. But that's what the gist of this uh, this podcast is about. And uh, we are I've had this podcast on for over a year on another platform. I have transferred it over, basically started over on the Hefe Pods Network, uh, Division of Glades Media. And so you'll eventually hear a lot of these ones that I've done before for the first time, probably. And uh, excited for you to hear those. Today, though, a little different and one that I'm extremely excited about. I am speaking with Tim Alcorn, who's the play-by-play voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA. This is uh, my first professional play-by-play broadcaster of a professional league and certainly one of the main uh, the mainstream leagues like football basketball or baseball so uh thrilled and I, if you listen to last week's episode you you know why or how i was able to get tim on the podcast uh, i posted one of my podcasts to a facebook group that he is also a member of he listened to the podcast enjoyed it commented on it and I was so thrilled that he even listened to the podcast. I, I asked him to be on the podcast, and he accepted. So uh, we had a great conversation. You're going to hear part one of that conversation today. Tim Alcorn has had a fascinating story of, of how he was able to uh, uh, land his first job uh, in the NBA. First of all, he did it later in life, and, and he'll go into this. Uh, he was named the the broadcaster for the Cleveland Cavaliers at age 57. I think at age 57, most broadcasters are, are kind of set in their ways and understand that maybe this is a, this is the level that I'm going to broadcast at. And, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm 47 right now. And if my career stays where it's at right now, doing high school sports, uh, being the general manager of a station, I'll be completely you know, good with that. I love where I'm at right now. I'm happy with what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, sure, there's a little, you know, something in the back of my brain with a, what if a, a big opportunity came along? What would I be able to do or will it ever come along? At 57, I'm sure that Tim was thinking, you know, what, I'm good where I'm at right now and uh, and I'll finish my career here. Well, then an opportunity to uh, do radio play by play for the Cleveland Cavaliers came along and he jumped at it. And it's been a, a dream job of his and he does a phenomenal job. Today, we're going to find out the inside story on how he got that job and the in the uh, circumstances that happened to for him that allowed him to get that job. And it's uh, um, very bittersweet, to say the least. Um we're also going to talk about his prep work, how he's able to uh, 
to get ready for games in the NBA and, and a whole lot more. Some interesting stuff. Uh, and we'll talk uh, broadcasting. We'll talk Cleveland Cavaliers. We'll talk NBA. And we'll talk what it's like for him to, to have his dream job um, and, and do such a great job with it. And we're going to do a lot of talking about Joe Tate, the legendary play-by-play broadcaster for the Cleveland Cavaliers, who passed away recently, uh, was a dear friend uh, of Tim's, and he's got a lot of great insight on, on Joe, one of my heroes growing up as well. So without further ado, here is the Cleveland Cavaliers radio play-by-play voice, Tim Alcorn. Mitchell into the forecourt. Mitchell right in front of the scorer's table. Gives it off to Karis LeVert. That's got to be a red-hot basketball when you catch it from Donovan Mitchell because he is on fire. Mitchell left wing. Three. Good! 66! 66 for Donovan Mitchell. 140, 130. Look at Donovan Mitchell's grin. That is the voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that I grew up following, rooting for, listening to, and continue to do so to this day. Uh, that is Tim Alcorn, who is, uh, has been gracious enough to give us some time on the Before the Crowds play-by-play podcast. Tim, it is an honor. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, this is great. I appreciate you inviting me on and uh, look forward to talking about the Cavs and broadcasting in general. Yeah, you know, before we get into that, and there's a lot to, to talk about, you've uh, you've been in Northeast Ohio a long, long time. Um, I grew up in Northeast Ohio. Talk about the, the sports fandom of that area and, and how it might be different from anywhere else. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, Fans in the Cleveland area, as you are very well aware, are very passionate. It is a passionate fan base. Uh, Browns followers uh, through all their ups and downs, and there's been a lot of downs in recent years, but they continue to fill that stadium. Uh, Guardians fans, uh, and before that, Indians fans, uh, they love their baseball and Cavalier fans are are as raucous and as loud as any fans that I've heard across the NBA. And certainly uh, it's a fan base that just wholeheartedly uh, follows their team with so much emotion. Uh, It's a blue-collar town, so they really appreciate hardworking, blue-collar type of teams, and, uh, and they support those teams. So it's a great place to make a living as a broadcaster. You say passionate, and at times we get a little defensive, don't we? Where, where uh, we feel, there's that saying, "It's Cleveland against the world." You see it on T-shirts all over the place. Uh, you know, I, I almost think it goes too far the other way sometimes, and that's a dynamic I haven't really seen at a lot of other places. No, you're right about that, and I think there is some inherent defensiveness uh, to Cleveland fans. Uh, There's, you know, going back decades, jokes about Cleveland, mistake on the lake and the river caught on fire and all of that. And yet, uh, if you live here or work here, it's a it's a city that can take so much pride in a lot of different things uh, outside of Times Square. It's got the second biggest theater district in the whole country, Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, a lot of corporate 
businesses have their headquarters right here in Cleveland, Ohio. So uh, I think Clevelanders walk around with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder saying, hey, uh, there's a lot to love here. And I think anybody that, as I mentioned earlier, lives or works here, uh, they fall in love with the city of Cleveland and the surrounding area. It's a great place. Do you remember that show Coach had um, Craig T. Nelson and uh, Jerry Van Dyke. So I remember when I was a kid, um, the Browns were playing on Monday Night Football. This is the the old Browns before Art Modell stole them from us, and and we won't get into that. But um, they were playing on Monday Night Football, and, of course, uh, Coach was an ABC show. And I remember they did this promo where they're talking to each other, and they say, hey, Coach, who do you think is going to win the game here tonight? And he said, "Uh, well, whoever wins – the Browns lose because they got to go back to Cleveland. And I remember that caught such an uproar, especially locally, obviously, to where they kind of had to do another promo the following week, kind of making fun of themselves for doing that. And I remember being so mad when I saw that. I was a, I might have only been like 12, 11, 12, 13. I don't remember the age I was. But I remember just being mad, like, how could they say that and this and that? And my dad just rolled his eyes and he said, you know, that happens more than people that's what people outside this area think and it was almost like it didn't surprise him at all and uh it just tells you how far some of this goes back oh there's no doubt uh it goes back a long ways and yet i think cleveland to its credit uh the civic people the business people uh they have made huge efforts and huge strides in showcasing uh the city of cleveland uh, i know when the all-star game in the nba was at rocket mortgage Fieldhouse last season uh it was an incredible experience for everybody around the nba when the then indians uh, guardians hosted the all-star game a few years ago everybody raved about the city uh the rnc coming to Cleveland in 2016 uh, was a phenomenal experience. So uh, the the people of Cleveland and the leaders in Cleveland have gone above and beyond to showcase the city that it really is a beautiful city and has so much to offer. So hopefully uh, those running gags and those jokes uh, are winding down because I think Cleveland has shown it has a lot to offer. Yeah, I definitely think it has, by the way. It's certainly gotten better over the years with more and more people uh, you know, opening up their minds to it a little bit. Now, let's talk about your career. Your career path is fascinating to me because career-wise, you got your big break. Your, I don't want to say big. Your, your big opportunity where you are right now much later in your career than I think most people do. Um, can you talk about how you got to be the the play-by-play radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> Ken, how much time do you have? <laughs> as much as you uh, need, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I did get the NBA play-by-play job with the Cavaliers uh, at a very late age uh, to become an NBA announcer at 57 years old, which is uh, where I was a few years ago. Uh, that's definitely uh, an anomaly. That, that that doesn't normally happen. So uh, I, I grew up in the New England area. I'm not a native Ohioan, but moved to Ohio uh, my junior year of high school and uh, graduated from a local high school outside of Cleveland, ended up going to Kent State and uh, started working in local radio, uh, a couple of stations outside of Cleveland, 
uh, after I graduated from college and did that for a number of years. Uh, started on air, morning news, morning sports, and did play-by-play, high school football, basketball, baseball, softball, that sort of thing. And um, just a few years ago, I was at a radio station, WEOL, uh, on the west side of Cleveland in Elyria. And WEOL, we did a ton of high school sports, and I was doing play-by-play, uh, but I was also the general manager of the radio station. I, I actually ran the day-to-day operation of the station. We were a Cavalier affiliate, and sadly, uh, in September of 2019, uh, the Cavaliers just legendary, iconic television broadcaster, uh, Fred McLeod, uh, passed away suddenly. Uh, Fred sadly had a heart attack and and died. And uh, so it was literally less than a month before the season was to begin. So the Cavaliers, uh, they were very familiar with my work. And I did a show live from Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse uh, for several years when I was at WEOL. So I knew their folks. And um, again, short and a long story, um, the Cavaliers decided to transition John Michael, who was the radio voice of the Cavaliers at that time, to the television side uh, to replace Fred. And I was offered the position of the radio play-by-play job. So uh, it was my life literally turned upside down in a span of about a week because I was at WEOL. We had just started our high school football coverage. And all that being said, uh, shortly after Fred's passing, the, the Cavs reached out to me, and uh, it, it all came together very quickly simply because of the timeline that, hey, we we need to get somebody in place, and uh, this season starts in three weeks. So I went from calling high school sports to uh, calling the Cavaliers at Orlando about three weeks later in my very first NBA broadcast, and Uh, It was an incredible blessing, Um, again, knowing uh, that it came to me under very sad circumstances, and I'm always very mindful of that. But uh, it certainly was a unique journey to get to the NBA. Um, You referenced how quickly your turnaround was from being offered the job to where you were in Orlando calling Cavaliers, I'm assuming preseason basketball at that point. you know, you didn't have a lot of time to process what was happening when you were able to kind of look back. Did you ever think like, holy cow, how I was a month ago, I was doing a high school broadcast. Now I'm in the NBA. How, how were you able to process that? And when you had time to reflect, you know, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, you're right. It was it happened so fast. And I think that was almost a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like I was hired in May or June when a season ended and I had four months to get real nervous. Uh, it was happening so fast. And it's interesting you asked that question because I've had a lot of people ask me both then and even now, how nervous were you? And it's interesting. As you know, play-by-play, whether you're calling NBA, high school, college, middle school, the building blocks of play-by-play, score and time, where's the ball, create the picture, that sort of thing, it's the same no matter what level. So I wasn't nervous about doing the actual play-by-play. Now, obviously, there's some differences between the NBA game and 
high school basketball. I recognize that. But the, the building blocks, the fundamentals of doing play-by-play is the same. And the, the beauty of it was I was very comfortable with uh, the Cavs broadcasting department because I knew them all so very well from my time at WEOL. So I knew our producers. I knew the technical guys. Uh, so there was a comfort level there. Uh, the only thing that there was apprehension about or, or getting used to was just the complexity of the NBA broadcast itself, not the not the play-by-play, but guys talking in your ear and highlights and so forth. Mm-hmm. As you know, that doesn't happen at the high school level. So it was kind of a, you know, this guy's chatting in my ear, and this guy's pointing to this, and I've got an engineer here. and um, So that took some getting used to, and it was a little choppy at first. But uh, once the game started and I could just call the game, I was comfortable doing it. I- so are, do you have voices in your ear during the game? Because to me, that would be incredibly difficult to uh, to get used to. And if so, how long did that take you to get used to? Yeah, it, it took a few games because, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, you don't have that uh, at the high school mm-hmm. level. You've got a board out back at the station that's just playing the commercials. So, yeah, our technical director um, – and our senior producer, uh, Marty Allen and Kurt McLaughlin, respectively, they'll both talk to me uh, in my ear during the game, not normally during an actual play. They, they know I got to get the play call in and describe the action and so forth. But uh, if the Cavs are on a run or if there's a stat or if there's a read that I need to get in, uh, they're short. They're not having a conversation in my ear, but all of a sudden I'll hear, Hey Tim, you know, in the last three minutes, the Cavs are on a 14 to two run. So I'll work that into the broadcast. So it's very, it's very beneficial and it's very helpful, but for a guy that had never experienced that for 30 years of broadcasting, it did take some getting used to. I think you just hit on something that a lot of people, certainly younger broadcasters have always wanted to know. And that's typically, you know, how, how do you get some of this information so quickly, you know, during a time, I think that's a peek behind the curtains a little bit. Um, in, in your high school broadcasts, which we'll get to here in a bit, you know, it's all about our preparation, our research and just, you know, taking notes. We don't have the people that are that are telling us that on the fly. We don't have that luxury. Um, but, you know, having people kind of tell you that as it's going on, that's just an, an added tool that you have for your broadcast, isn't it? Oh, there's no doubt about that. But it's interesting, Ken, because my high school background and all the years that I did that, uh, there's still so much of that that I draw upon in calling NBA basketball. I do a ton of prep work, and I think it's just because it's ingrained into me. Uh, I actually, (laughs) I may be one of only 30 in the NBA. I don't know. Uh, But I still keep score by hand as much as we have, you know, the monitors there and that sort of thing. I find the monitors actually are a second or two behind and posting a number. So I still keep score by hand, Um, but a ton of prep work. And again, to me, that doesn't, it doesn't matter what level you're calling as far as preparation is concerned. Uh, I want to know just as much about, you know, who the Cavs are playing as who Leary and Lorraine were playing when I was calling high school basketball. So uh, preparation and homework. Uh, I don't like to overload fans with all sorts of 
stats and information because especially on the radio side it needs to be more of scoring time and describing the game but uh, i want to have that information available if i need to use it or if it comes into play during the course of the ball game more after this on the before the crowds play-by-play podcast be sure to check out our great podcast on hefepods.com. That's spelled J-E-F-E pods.com. You'll find an ever-growing selection of shows, some of which are hosted by your favorite radio personalities. From popular English language shows to the hard-to-find Spanish language shows. Check out the newest episodes of Taylor's Table, the Haunting or Not podcast, and more. They can all be found at hefepods.com. That's J-E-F-E pods.com. And be sure to tell a friend or two or three. Could you summarize how you do your research in the midst of an NBA season when you have three to four games a week or more than that? Uh, um, you know, what is your routine? Well, that's a great question. Uh, it's a it's a day long, sometimes two days if there's an off day in between uh, preparation. Where, as you know, uh, at, at some levels you're going to get game notes and you're going to get stats and so forth. The NBA uh, just has an abundance of stats uh, that you can call upon, and and the Cavaliers actually subscribe to a software program where I download fresh stats. Uh, every single morning after all the games from the night before are completed. Um, And then I'll go online and I can get into uh, each team's respective media guides. And then there's also various sites uh, on the Internet from basketball reference to whatever other ones I decide to use. So you try to call out some information uh, on each player or especially the star players Uh, that you can drop in. And again, I try not to overload it, but I think listeners and fans want to hear an interesting tidbit or two about a player or a stat about a player so that uh, it it just adds a little more to the broadcast. It's not just who's winning and what's the score. I I mean, believe me, that's, that's the basic tenet of broadcasting, but you have to have something else to give it a little more flavor. How much does human interest factor into your research, meaning not just numbers or what they've done on the court, but maybe something interesting about the guy that that you gleamed off of a, of a conversation and, uh, you, you know, that sort of thing that uh, only you have access to? Yeah, that's a great question. And I do try to drop that in once in a while, whether it's in their athletic history or their you know, personal past or whatever it may be, because I think fans, as they're listening, uh, they pick up on something like that. You know, that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm trying to think of one. Um, Bam Adebayo for the Miami Heat. Uh, He was given the nickname Bam as a youngster because uh, someone in his family, it may have been his parents, uh, he reminded them of Bam Bam in the old Flintstones show. I don't know why I remember that. I just do. But it's just little things like that that you pick up on a player or you pick up on the team or the organization. Uh, and you just try to slide those in maybe during a free throw or maybe during a timeout uh, just to give it a you know a little more zest as far as uh, what the team is about and what the players are about. Can you tell us some more about your time at WEOL Radio in uh, Elyria? By the way, my dad is from Elyria. He went to Elyria High School before it got split up, and I believe reunited. I'm not sure what the how that works right now, but uh, my dad, long time ago, uh, went to Elyria High School. So I don't know the area all that well, but I do have a tie to it. 
wow, that's really cool. He was a pioneer then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't even begin to tell you how many pioneer games I did over the years. But, yeah, I started at WEOL in 1992 and was at WEOL until 2019 when I got hired by the Cavaliers. I started actually uh, part-time, just doing play-by-play on a stringer sort of basis, a freelance sort of basis. And through that time, um, my wife and I started a family and so forth. So try to accelerate through that story. I ended up getting into sales and then became the sales manager and the station manager and all the time still keeping up with play-by-play because WEOL was a huge and still is station here in Northeast Ohio in regards to high school sports coverage. It's the predominant thing uh, that the station is known for. So uh, I was at WEOL. I started in 1992, and uh, through those years, I never kept track i'm not someone who does that but i'm sure it's into the thousands as far as the number of games that i did just you know with the primary sports that we covered football basketball baseball softball so it was a great training ground it's just outside cleveland so uh, i mentioned before the Cavs were very familiar with my work and i was actually surprised uh, when I interviewed for the Cavs job and was talking to people there, uh, how many actually listened to WEOL? If there were Cavs employees or front office people that lived on the west side of Cleveland, and of course in later days was streaming, but uh, they were listening. They had you know grandkids or nieces or nephews or whatever that played high school sports in Lorain County, so they were aware of my work. I thought that was pretty interesting. Valuable lesson in radio. You never know who's listening. You just touched, somebody's listening. Yeah, and I am sorry. <laughs> I apologize to interrupt, but you just touched no. on something that is my absolute favorite part of what uh, I do, and and what you just talked about is. Whenever I get somebody that tells me that they, A, listen to our station, B, have listened to my broadcast, C, enjoy the broadcast, I mean, that's the highest compliment that I can that I can get outside of uh, you made me feel like I was there. Um, I, to this day, I love it, and I don't think that'll ever get old. No, I mean, to your point, if somebody says, man, you made me feel like I was sitting right there with you courtside or, you know, I was right there in the stands at that football game. I mean, that's the ultimate compliment uh, when people say they feel like they're at the game, uh, because that means you're bringing all that energy and all that passion to your broadcast. And so that's first and foremost. And to your point as well, you never know where people are listening or how they're listening. Uh, I'm sure you've experienced it where someone will say, yeah, I was working on my car and I was listening to you, or I was at the beach or whatever the case may be. And you're like, wow. Yeah. You just never know where people are listening, but they're listening. So uh, it's a valuable lesson. And, um, you know, over the years, it's been very, very interesting to find out, you know, under what circumstances people listen. But uh, there were there are always people that are dialed in in one way or another. It's important to remember for broadcasters and I'm talking to broadcasters now and and, and not the, the casual listener, although you might find interest in this, is that. I think sometimes when you're doing games, you, you almost get the feeling like that either nobody's listening or not as many as you think to the point where you're wondering, you know, uh, how many people are listening. So whenever you do get those people that do come to you and give you some feedback, whether it's good or, or bad, um, to me is a positive thing. 
Oh, there's no doubt. Um, again, that's that's what broadcasters strive for to to get mm-hmm. that feedback. Uh, that yes, you know, I was listening or we were listening, and you know, I remember you called this or you said this, and so it, because when you're sitting there with a headset and a microphone, sometimes you feel like you're just talking into a can with a string on it. Right. Who is listening at the other end of this? You forget. Uh, right. Now it's a little bit different now because <laughs> we have 20 stations all across the state of Ohio that are carrying Cavs basketball. So I know there's people out there listening, but to your point, if you're in a smaller market or at a smaller station um, and you wonder who is listening, but it goes back and actually my dear friend, Joe Tate, uh, he actually shared that with me when I first got started. Don't ever think nobody's listening. Don't ever think that because somebody's listening. You don't know where they are. You don't know what the circumstances are, but somebody is listening somewhere. Well, let's talk about Joe Tate. Uh, I have talked on this podcast many times. Um, He is he both taught me basketball and broadcasting all in one one swoop. Made me fall in love with both. Um, the, he was the original play-by-play broadcaster for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And maybe you know the amount of years he did it. I believe it was at least 40. I know when John Michael took over, John Michael was the second ever radio uh, play-by-play broadcaster in, in uh, team history. Um, and I'll give you a quick correction on that. Oh. John was the third. And during the Ted Stepien era, that's right. Uh, Joe actually left the Cavs for two seasons, and a gentleman who was in Florida for a long time as the PA voice of the Orlando Magic, Paul Porter, was actually the voice, the radio voice of the Cavaliers for the two years. Uh, that Joe was gone before Joe was brought back. One of the many things that Ted Stepien did not uh, do well. <laughs> <laughs> there, when the NBA names rule after you, uh, that's not a good thing. <laughs> Meaning you're not allowed to trade back-to-back first-round picks. It's called the Ted Stepien rule because he was famous for doing that when he was unloading on talent and uh, trading all of his first-round picks too to save money. I didn't mean to interrupt you on your intro. No, no, no Tate, listen. Though, I'm sorry. No, listen. I I, I want to get it right. That's the number one thing right there. But I had forgotten that Joe had left. That was a little before my time. So, um, uh, but just talk about how incredible Joe was. You you've already referenced you know father son relationship. Your incredible friendship with Joe. But maybe aside from that, just how truly great he was at what he did. Wow. That's a great question. Words can't describe how great Joe was as a play-by-play man, both with the Cavaliers and, of course, he was with the Indians Mm -hmm. for many years on the radio side. Uh, Joe is the gold standard of play-by-play announcers. There's, you know, I know there's a thing now that's popular, you know, the Mount Rushmore of this, the Mount Rushmore of that. (laughs) Uh, When you talk about the Mount Rushmore of NBA play-by-play guys, you can debate or argue any of the other three that you want, but Joe's on the Mount Rushmore because his description, his language, his style, his voice, it was so distinct and so accurate. Um, as you said, uh, Joe could not only just engage you in the broadcast, but educate you on the game of basketball. That's a great way to, to describe Joe. And as I mentioned 
when we started the the conversation here, uh, I grew up in New England actually listening to Joe, uh, 3WE uh, at that time, now TAM, but 3WE came booming into New England. And as a kid, I would just go up and down the radio looking for any sort of ball game. And I heard this guy out of Cleveland. And to me, that seemed like a million miles away at the time. But uh, to now come full circle and sit in the Joe Tate perch and uh, be able to call Cavaliers basketball is just incredible to me. But Joe was the best of the best. He truly was. And uh, Cavs fans, and as I mentioned, for a while, Indians fans were extraordinarily blessed to have him call the games. Because I mentioned earlier, you were talking about Cleveland. It's a blue-collar town. Mm-hmm. And Joe was the announcer for the blue collar guy. He really was. And he loved to talk about eating hot dogs and, <laughs> you know, having a pizza at halftime. And, and that's why the fans really uh, fell in love with Joe because they considered him uh, one of them. And it's, it's interesting. When Joe passed a few years ago, I, I mentioned to a few people that never did a guy have a more apt name than Joe Tate because he was the average Joe that was just calling NBA basketball for the fans. He he knew his job was to call the game for the fans that couldn't be there. And he loved it and he was loved in return. I started listening to Joe when I was fifth grade, sixth grade. It was the Craig Elo, Mark Price, Brad Doherty, Larry Nance years. Um, And, you know, up until LeBron got here, some of the best years in franchise history, maybe the best years in franchise history at that time. And there was a real buzz in Cleveland about the Cavaliers. They were finally beginning to be good and – and contend and they're making the playoffs and they were winning 50 games and there was a buzz and I was both watching the games on TV but more listening to the games on radio and I would wear my dad's Walkman to sleep listening uh, supposed to be asleep but I'd be in bed with the headphones on listening to the games and especially on the West Coast games I start at 10 I would more than well basically every time I would wake up in the morning with the radio still going tangled up in my uh, headset because I had fallen asleep before the game ended but I I learned more about broadcasting and, and basketball and through that than, than any schooling or even maybe not experience but I mean it certainly got me on the right track and uh, just I didn't even know it at the time but that's that's how it went Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, Joe was one of those guys uh, that you just couldn't stop listening to. No matter what the score, no matter what the situation, just Joe's play-by-play style uh, was something that once you had it on, you weren't going to turn it off. And you also didn't know what he was going to say next. Because, as I mentioned before, about dropping in tidbits and so forth. I mean, Joe would drop in anything. And just you could just be side-splitting laughter listening to Joe. He had that humor. That was another aspect of his broadcast. So, um, you're right. You, you And as a kid, I did the same thing. You know, whether it was Joe or other announcers. Uh, you know, the radio by the bed. I don't know when I was a kid if we had Walkmans. But I'm a little older than you. <laughs> Not much, but, I, but yeah. You're right. You wake up the next morning and the radio's still going, and uh, it was kind of the the soundtrack that you went to sleep by. And uh, Joe was the absolute 
artist as far as painting that picture. And, uh, you know, he was, he was the Picasso, I guess you would say, of broadcasters because no one was more brilliant at that than Joe. For my 11th birthday, my parents asked me what I wanted for my birthday. And I <clears throat> told them I wanted my own Walkman so I wouldn't have to be taking my dad's every single night. And maybe he was the one that told me he didn't want me taking it every night. I don't know. But uh, <clears throat> back then, you couldn't just go to Walmart and pick one up. You had to um, you had to go to an electronics store. And it was actually a pretty major investment. I mean, Walkmans back in the day were <clears throat> upwards of $100 or so, depending on what kind you got. They could be pretty expensive. And now you can't find one. But... Um, we went to the store and I'll never forget this. And the only Walkman in our price range was bright pink. And, <laughs> and, and my dad looked at me and he says, all right, son, we either get this and you've got a pink Walkman or you don't get one today. And we'll keep looking eventually down the line, find something that you want. And I thought about it for maybe a minute and I said, well, I don't intend this on uh, taking this anywhere. I'm not taking it to school. I'm not going to listen to it on the bus or anything like that. I'm not going to, it's not going to leave my bedroom. So I took the pink Walkman because I wanted to listen that night. And I wasn't going to let my brother or any of my friends or anybody see me with this pink Walkman at the time. But that's how important it was for me to have something I can listen to the games on. I, uh, I had to get a pink Walkman as an 11 year old boy uh, and just pray that none of my friends ever found out <laughs> that's a great story that really <laughs> is but you're right it implanted uh, pardon the pun with the buds in your ears but it implanted that love of radio into yeah. you and, and obviously it has continued on for many years all right, I will wrap it up right there. Believe it or not, we got a lot more to get to next week. Uh, that's uh, going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk more about what Tim, uh, some players that he covered before they became famous, kind of the theme of this podcast. We'll get into that next week. A lot of other great stories, his thoughts on the Cleveland Cavaliers, what they did in the offseason, how they'll look next year, uh, and, and more. One thing I took from this first week, he talked about he still does his scoring by hand. And he's at the NBA level, and he said he may be one of 30, but uh, that warmed my heart. I do not use a computer. There's a lot of software out there that uh, that you can score basketball games with, certainly baseball and, and softball and football. And I still, for the most part on, well, no, not the most part, all parts, <laughs> I, I use my, my pencil and a scorebook and, uh, and do it that way, mainly because at the high school level, there's not a lot of internet connection and and access to the internet so that's why i do it but it it does warm my heart to know that tim who could use the computer if he wanted to still does it by hand kind of old school i like that more with tim alcorn next week until then i'm ken keller thank you for listening this has been before the crowds play-by-play podcast a proud member of the boss pods podcast network a division of glades media If you like this episode, please tell your friends and follow Before the Crowds on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Before the Crowds. There you'll get extra clips not included in this episode, as well as updates on when new episodes are posted. If you have any questions or comments, message those accounts, and I will either message back directly or answer your questions on a future podcast. The Before the Crowds theme music is written and performed by Lucas Braun of L-Dub Music. More episodes to come over the next few weeks. Until then, thank you for listening.